Hi, I'm Clement Liu. Welcome to the second season of Just Sustainability. Today, I have the distinct pleasure and honor of sharing with you my conversation with Dr. Julian Adjaman, which was recorded in the spring of 2020. Normally, I start episodes by introducing listeners to the featured guest, but I suspect that if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you're almost already certainly familiar with Julian and his work. Julian is one of the most impactful scholars working at the confluence of equity and sustainability. Indeed, I believe that he's the person that coined the phrase, Just Sustainabilities, a phrase that was adapted to serve as the title for this podcast. More personally, it was actually two of Julian's books, Just Sustainabilities, which he co-edited with Robert Bullard and Bob Evans, and Sustainable Communities and the Challenge of Environmental Justice, which introduced me to the concept of environmental justice and the importance of thinking of equity and sustainability as inextricably linked. But enough of me talking. Let's listen to how Julian introduces himself. So, who is Julian Adjaman? Well, Julian Adjaman is a uh, um, British... Um, scholar and academic. Uh, I work in the United States. I've been here for 20 years. Um, I am a passionate believer in uh, social justice and sustainability, or what I call just sustainabilities, which really is looking at uh, how do we improve people's quality of life? How do we do that in a just and equitable manner? And how do we do that while living within the limits of uh, ecosystems? Uh, As a kid, I was passionate about uh, nature and ecology and the environment, and that led me to study my first degree, which was a a bachelor's degree, a joint honours degree in geography and botany, which really took my my passions to another level. Um, And in in many ways, uh, geography and botany today would be called uh, an ecology degree or biogeography. And... It really was interesting because as I went into my first job, which was a high school geography teacher, I started to think about the urban environment. Um, previously, you know, being a, a more of an ecologist, I'd been really more interested in natural or semi-natural environments. And all of a sudden, the urban environment became interesting to me. And I took a job in, in London. I moved from the north of England to London and started working at an urban study centre where we were working with school kids in urban environments. And I suddenly realized that the questions that we were asking uh, and that the kids were asking were all very much more political than kids who were in rural environments and just looking at rural ecosystems. And so it really got me to think about what might be called environmental social science. Um, You know, why does that bus service in that neighbourhood not run as well as this particular neighbourhood? Why is the environment in one particular neighbourhood not as nice as the environment in another neighbourhood? So it really got me into this idea of social science. So I really shifted in my master's degree, which was an MA in conservation policy. It was looking at this area, this idea of policy and how we make change and who can get involved in making change, whose voices are heard, um, what is the policy process? What is urban planning? And then I went on and did a PhD in um, in urban studies and really continued this. And so my switch really from science to social science was 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 complete. Um, so 
I describe myself today as uh, a critical urban planning academic or um, an environmental social scientist. That's that's who Julian Adjuman is. While he was introducing himself, Julian mentioned the notion of just sustainabilities. That led me to ask him about the idea and what he means when he talks about just sustainabilities. Here's what he said in response. When you're talking about just sustainability, what exactly are you talking about? So like, what do you think are the objectives of just sustainability? What sorts of practices do you think are consistent with just sustainability? And maybe something about like how you think institutions and structures uh, might need to change to be more sustainable and more just. Okay. So I always use the plural, just sustainabilities. I never use the singular. Okay. Because the singular of just sustainability suggests there is one universal form of just sustainability. But I recognize that in many, many places, um, sustainability will look very different. Um, whether you're in you know, Minneapolis, um, in Middlesbrough, England, or in um, you know, Mumbai, it will look very, very different. So we use the plural just sustainabilities to assert the notion that um, whatever form of sustainability takes place, it is culturally located. The, so the idea of just sustainability and just sustainabilities came about really in the late 90s when I noticed with a few colleagues what I call the equity deficit in much sustainability writing, theorizing, and practice. And in fact, you could go online and go to these best practices databases and look for best practice. And largely the best practices were greening or energy efficiency, all very, very important, but very few had a, a foundation in equity or delivering greater social justice. So um, we started to think about this, and we started to think about the growing sustainability agenda, the green agenda, and we looked at the growing environmental justice agenda, and we thought, could we bring these two together? How do we insert the justice of environmental justice into sustainability? And this was where the idea of just sustainabilities uh, first came about. And, you know, without going into huge amounts of detail, it's really interesting in the last 20, 25 years, how the concept of just sustainabilities has really caught on and how important it is now seen. Whereas in those days in the past, I can remember academics and practitioners saying, look, Julian, we, we appreciate the need for greater social justice, but our organization you know, has a mandate to work for nature conservation. Why should we be thinking about social justice? We support your ideas. Um, but give you one example. Um, think about an organization like Massachusetts Audubon Society. Um, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's moniker is um, preserving the nature um, for all people in Massachusetts, something like that. Um, Mass Audubon was started 100 years ago or so um, when the population of Massachusetts looked very different. It was a population that was um, much less diverse um, and nature was something that was defined and still is to a certain extent by an elite group in society. Um, now we have a Massachusetts that looks very, very different. Massachusetts is rapidly changing with Cape Verdean, uh, Dominican, Puerto Rican, Brazilian, 
uh, Syrian, you name it, people from all around the world are coming to live in Massachusetts. How does an organization like Massachusetts, uh, like Massachusetts Audubon Society change in light of the new uh, Massachusetts residents? If its true charge is preserving the nature of Massachusetts for all Massachusetts residents, then surely it needs to understand what nature means to these new Massachusetts residents. Now, this is a, a long way of, of saying that there's nothing wrong with nature conservation from a just sustainability standpoint, but maybe we have to look to the people of Massachusetts to redefine what conservation might mean. What does conservation mean to the Brazilian bird watcher who goes out and watches birds or to the Cape Verdean? So the notion of just sustainability is, and I know I've jumped here into organizations and structures, but the notion of just sustainability has both an organizational and um, a survival mechanism. I mean, when you think about it in many ways, Massachusetts Audubon Society has relied on um, the donations of rich, wealthy, largely white, upper middle class Massachusetts residents. As the Commonwealth changes, how will an organization like Massachusetts Audubon Society change? How will it survive if it doesn't start to look to the new residents of Massachusetts and what their needs are? So in many ways, taking a just sustainability standpoint as a, an organization, a nonprofit, might be a survival strategy, a, a, a strategy that is necessary to change um, you know, with the times. And the final point on that, and again, I apologize for going into one of the, the other questions, but I, I'll, come no, back to, I'll come back to uh, the other points you're asking me. Um, the final point on that is, and I think this is a very powerful point, if your organization doesn't look like the community it serves, is it legitimate? Is it trusted? Can it do its job? Because I'll tell you, Massachusetts Audubon Society doesn't look like Massachusetts. And I think more generally, going forward, organizations are going to need to look much more like their communities. Hmm. They're going to have to employ people who are representative of communities. Otherwise, we're going to have a problem with organizations, good organizations like Massachusetts Audubon Society, that are just not seen as relevant to some people's lives. So now is the opportunity to for them to, to start moving. Now, just to go back to the objectives of just sustainability, um, you know, I, I gave you a, a definition, improving the quality of people's lives now mm -hmm. and into the future in a just and equitable manner while living within the limits of um, supporting ecosystems. Just sustainability recognizes that largely environment, separate environmental and social justice campaigns have failed. They've failed because they haven't acknowledged intersectionalities. Um, we've had environmentalists going, plowing down their environmental furrow, social and housing campaigners doing their bit. These issues, housing, energy, conservation, um, climate change, inequality, they are all interrelated and just sustainability provides us with a, a platform for understanding intersectionalities of these what were called environmental or social issues. Um, and, you know, it's a very powerful platform as well. We, I don't think we can understand um, uh, issues of, for instance, housing 
without thinking about social issues, who gets access, what is affordable, but also thinking about issues of energy conservation and uh, how much uh, energy costs. So if we're going to look at a thematic issue, food is another great one that I'll do a lot. You know, food could be looked at from a very scientific point of view and a, a technical point of view. How do we feed the world? Do we need new strains and new crops and new techniques? Or you can look at food as an issue of the right to food, food justice, food sovereignty. So my thinking then about issues of just sustainability is that it helps us it gives us a set of lenses to look at issues from many perspectives. And I think, and I know from my students' perspective, they really like this, that going into um, urban planning or urban policy with the ability to look at issues from multiple uh, standpoints is really, really important. Learning more about what Julian thinks about the importance of representation, let me ask him about what he thinks might be some practical strategies for improving the access of marginalized folks and communities to institutions in order to promote self-representation. Let's listen to that conversation. Often when you write about uh, just sustainability, you talk about how to represent communities better by thinking about how to promote self-representation and Indigenous uh, leadership. So could you say a little bit more about how that works? So it's great to have the, the objective of how to do it, but how do you think are some practical ways to accomplish those kind of things? Well, self-representation, um, interesting. So there's an organization in Boston uh, that's been around since the early 1980s called the Dudley Street Neighborhood Initiative, mm-hmm. um, DSNI. And if any of your listeners want to go to their websites, dsni.org. Before they um, set up their organization, they did a demographic survey of the neighborhood and they um, constituted the board of directors to look like the neighborhood. This is a tremendously successful organization. Um, in the 40 years or so that they've been around, they have developed community land trusts. They have developed hundreds of units of affordable housing. They have um, developed local um, local plans for the neighborhood. They've developed the Dudley Commons. They've developed, or they are part of a, a food hub um they've done great stuff they also in the early 80s were the own uh, were given um eminent domain powers they are still the only organization non-profit in the united states to have been given uh, eminent domain powers they are successful in the eyes of the community and in terms of the foundations that support them because they look like the community they are representative of the community they're also very good at mentorship. And I found this with a lot of organizations that are conscious of self-representation. They're very good at mentorship, bringing along young people, bringing them along into jobs, bringing them along into board and other leadership roles. So, so that's what it looks like. From a higher education standpoint, it looks like when I was chair of the department, being conscious about hiring um, faculty from a diverse range of backgrounds. And if you look at our department at Tufts now, we have, um, we have a Chinese American faculty member, an Indian American faculty member. We have me, who's a black European. 
we have a, a Taiwanese American, um, we have a Bangladeshi American. Of our 14 faculty, five are faculty of, of color. Um, it's important that students can see uh, in their faculty, in their urban planning, urban policy, uh, environmental policy and planning faculty, difference in diversity. We get a lot of students coming because they see this diversity. So we're part of a pipeline in many ways. And it's always been a conscious aim of mine, and especially now as I'm in more of a mentorship phase in my career. I want to bring on the next generation of young leaders from, um, you know, from minority, indigenous, uh, from a, a diversity um, of groups. And it really is important. Um, now, in some of my writing, what I, what I say is that as environmental or city planning professionals, we need greater cultural competency. We absolutely do. And especially we do when the urban planning profession doesn't really look like America today. It's still largely a white, um, you know, middle or upper class uh, profession. Until we become more diverse, we're going to need at least those people who are doing it to be culturally competent. But one thing that is rather worrying to me and to many of my, my colleagues is that in the American Planning Association, um, in um, in our AICP code of honor, oh, code of honor, what am I talking about? Code of ethics, <laughs> <laughs> code of honor. Um, in our code of ethics, there is no mention of cultural competency. There's mention of equity and social justice, but yet you look at social workers, cultural competency is in their code of practice. Um, in healthcare professionals, um, cultural competency is in their, their code of practice. In fact, healthcare professionals, uh, there's ample empirical evidence to say that quality healthcare and the quality of healthcare increases as um, and and recovery rates increase with culturally competent healthcare. And so I ask urban planners, you know, would our urban planning be better received by communities if it were delivered in a more culturally competent style? So, in short, yes. I absolutely believe that we need self-representation, that we need to look at pipelines from high schools to universities, that we need to be very conscious about the need for greater social justice and equity within uh, the, the planning and city-making professions. But we also need greater social justice and equity in plans and policies, because one thing that I'm... Um, always reminded is that social justice and equity in urban planning um, in sustainability policy and planning never simply happen we never get to social justice and equity by accident it has to be intentional and it has to be there uh, from the get-go not as uh, uh, a rather cuddly afterthought oh yes we'll get to equity once we've got the economic and technical issues decided. No, we need economic, technical, social justice, and equity issues to be considered from the get-go. Then we might move towards greater social justice, and we might lessen the deepening inequalities that we are facing in our communities. Since Julian so presciently provided us with a summary of the early part of our conversation, this might be a good place for us to stop for now. 
Join me in the next episode of Just Sustainability to listen to the remainder of the conversation between me and Julian Adjaman. Thank you for listening to Just Sustainability. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. Just Sustainability is recorded with the support of the Institute in the Environment at the University of Minnesota. In particular, I want to thank Peter Levin and Beth Mercer-Taylor for all their help with this show. All the music on Just Sustainability is composed and recorded by Clifton Nesseth, and all the artwork was created by Kristen Nesseth. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.